So if you remember last week, we started chapter 41. And chapter 41 begins a run of 10 chapters that are all about emotions, namely love and awe of Hashem, and where to get them, how to get these emotions. We spoke about the fact that Tanya alluded to this concept very, very early on. If you remember back in chapter 3, when I learned about the inner makeup of the soul, and it told me that there are ten soul faculties, three intellectual faculties, and seven emotional faculties. It already alluded there to the idea of meditation. What are the three intellectual faculties that we learned about in chapter three? Chofmi binadas, okay. And very, very briefly, Chochma is the initial inception of an idea, and Bina is the elaboration upon the idea. Sometimes they are called father and mother. They were referred to as father and mother in chapter 3. That, uh, so to speak, the father impregnates the mother. That the idea is developed in the womb of thought in an elaborative fashion. And then what was Das? Can't be a third parent, so what's Das? Child? Focus. Focus. Das was the focus. Adam knew his wife. Das is focus. Intense attachment. I'm bringing this up now because it's going to become very important again here in chapter 42. So when Chachma and Bina join together in intense focus, or through intense focus, they have children, and the children are the, what do we learn in chapter 3? Emotions. The emotions, right. That's where babies come from. Emotions are the offspring or the children of intellect. So we alluded to this concept already in chapter 3. Then, if you will remember, in chapters 16 and 17, after we spoke about Mayach Shalat Alalev, the brain rules the heart being impulse control, remember that? Chapter 12, we introduced the concept that Mayach Shalat Alalev is impulse control. In chapters 16 and 17, we introduced another interpretation of the same phrase, which is Mayach Shalat Alalev, the brain rules over the heart by actually um, changing the feelings of the heart gradually over time by meditating on the right subject matter. And we spoke about that in chapters 16 and 17, how important it is to think about the right things in order to create the right feelings.
but we didn't really go into depth. And what happened is we had 18 through 25 where we spoke about that um, emergency method for arousing the innate capacity for sacrifice. Then 26 through 34, we focused on maintaining emotional health. And then 35 through 37, we were dealing with the philosophical problem of what is the purpose of this world and how uh, the person who is focused on behavioral perfection plays an essential role in that purpose. And then 38 through 40, we got into a whole discussion about intent because we were, we had just been speaking about the importance of action. We didn't want to think that action without intent was perfectly fine. So then we balanced it by talking about intent. And then finally, <coughs> in 41, we got back to this really important concept that we sort of left off since chapters 16 and 17, which is the importance of thinking in order to create feeling. By the way, that breadcrumb trail there, that seemed familiar to everybody? Yeah? If you've been with us the whole time, that sounded like where we have been? Okay. Just want to make sure. Remember last week, chapter 41, we, we, we started talking about thinking about the right things in order to feel the right things. And we said, namely, there are two emotions. Emotions are either ahava or yira, love or awe. And we concluded that it's most important to start with, with yira, with awe. And there are many different levels of awe. I mean, the word or the translation awe itself probably implies a fairly high level of yira. We spoke about awe, or rather we spoke about yira also as just plain old respect, which we described as self-containment. And that we have to have that in place before we start focusing on the love, which is the um, self-expansion. The boundaries have to be in place first before we try to express ourselves. And we spoke about that at length last week. So now in chapter 42, we're going to continue to speak about yira, about awe, or respect, or self-containment. Later on, we'll, uh, we will get to talking about love, but we're going to continue talking about yira for now. Chapter 42 starts like this. There's a verse in the Torah where 
Moshe Rabbeinu says to the Jewish people, and now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you other than that you fear him? And the Gemara in Brochus asks a question. The phrasing of that verse makes it sound like it's not a major request. The way the verse is presented, it makes it sound like it's saying, um, what does Hashem want from you? Not so much. He just wants you to fear Him or be in awe of Him, which is more daunting than being in fear of Him, more demanding at least. Or even if we'll translate it in the most mild way, to respect Him, which we explain means self-containment. It still doesn't really ring true because that's to say, what does Hashem want from you? Nothing so major. He just wants you to refrain from what you like if he doesn't like it. Well, that's kind of a big deal. You're making it sound like it's not a big deal, but it is a big deal. So you know how the Gemara answers this question? The Gemara asks, is, is, is Yudah a small matter? So the Gemara answers and says, yes. For Moshe Rabbeinu, it is a small matter. That's the Gemara's answer. Now, how are we supposed to understand the answer? Moshe Rabbeinu is not speaking to himself. He's speaking to the Jewish people. That's, how the, what's, that's what the verse says. And now Israel, what does the Lord, your God, plural, seek from you, plural, other than that you fear him? So what does it help us that it's no big deal for Moshe Rabbeinu. Okay, fine, but who's being spoken to in this verse is the Jewish people as a whole. So how are we to understand the answer of the Gemara? So here's what the Alter Rebbe says. It is speaking about every single Jew. When, it, when the Gemara says that Yira is not a big deal for Moshe Rabbeinu, that is a direct answer to the question of how Yira can be demanded from every Jew. Why? Because every Jew possesses a spark of the soul of Moshe Rabbeinu. <coughs> In other words, we can... Kabbalistically unpack that Gemara uh, as follows. Is fear of God really a small matter? Yes. For the Moshe Rabbeinu in you, it is a small matter. <coughs> and all you have to do is access that Moshe Rabbeinu. Now, what is this Moshe Rabbeinu in you? To some extent, 
it is the relationship one has with Moshe-like teachers. The figures in each generation who perform the function of Moshe Rabbeinu. What is the function of Moshe Rabbeinu? Moshe is one of the seven shepherds. Gemara says he's one of the seven shepherds. Yes, he was a shepherd. Like many Jewish leaders, shepherding is on his CV. But it's not just that he was a shepherd of sheep. There's a reason why so many Jewish leaders were shepherds in their, in their past, which is because even as leaders of the Jewish people, they act as shepherds. A shepherd takes care of the flock and sees to it that each one has its individual needs met. So the shepherd is the one who is responsible for the whole, but he also is able to focus on the individual. And specifically to make sure that the individual is sustained. In this case, the sustenance we're talking about is faith. That the role of Meish Rabbeinu is to make sure that everyone is being spiritually nourished. So one way to get your Meishu Rabbeinu is to find that relationship with a teacher who fills that role in your life. That's one way. And by the way, it doesn't have to be a living teacher. It can be from books. So he says also from books. However, that's not the main Meishu Rabbeinu in your life. The main Meishu Rabbeinu in your life is not from teachers or from books. The main Meishu Rabbeinu in your life is a capacity which is hardwired into your soul. It is specifically one of your soul powers. So if you guess right now, you have a 1 out of 10 chance of guessing right. But you can make an educated guess. And I will ask you to remember that earlier on, we were talking about chapter 3. And we were talking about Chochmah the father, Bina the mother. And the relationship between them is Das, focus. So make an educated guess. Das. Which faculty in you is your internal Meishurabeno? Das. Das, yes. The ability to focus and concentrate on a spiritual concept until it becomes real to you, as real as something that you see with your physical eyes, is your internal Meishurabeno. That's a capacity that you are born with. Or I would even say which predates your birth because it is hardwired into the godly soul. Can you repeat that? That das is the ability to focus and concentrate. Das is the ability to focus and concentrate on spiritual concepts until they become as real to you as things that you have See. Then everybody interpreted, interpreted it differently. That's fine. 
okay, and then they cannot interpret it the way Moshe Rabbeinu intended it or God intended it. They can lure to a different avenue. You know, I was, last night I did a Google image search for the Rorschach test. And all I found were pictures of my parents fighting. <laughs> you guys got it. That's good. I'm very impressed. There's no wrong or right subjective impression. We're not talking about our ability to interpret facts. We're talking about our ability to know what we feel. Your feeling is your feeling. Yes, it's true, feelings aren't facts. On the other hand, that is precisely why feelings aren't wrong or right. They are what they are. The internal Maishirabeno is not an ability to uh, interpret the meaning of the Torah. That's not what we're talking about. Maishir Rabbeinu was the one who received the Torah and taught it, but that's not the capacity of Maishir Rabbeinu we're describing when we say you have an internal Maishir Rabbeinu. What we're describing is that just as Maishir Rabbeinu acts as a shepherd who nourishes the flock, who makes sure every sheep is fed, meaning that every Jew is getting the spiritual sustenance that he or she needs, so too, internally, you have your own inner Moshe Rabbeinu that performs that same function. And that same function within you is das, the ability to take these wonderful, beautiful ideas and make them real to you to the extent that you will have an emotional reaction. Could you give an example? We will get to examples. We will get to examples. Yeah. Yeah, I'm wondering, so if someone has a focusing issue, and we're saying DAS is the focus to get to the most yeah. being within, would it be more of a challenge for them? To yeah, we're, yeah. excellent question. We're going to get to that. It's not so simple. Yes, we will get to that. Yeah? So when they say, I remember that um, they say that if somebody is, um, has a good feeling that he has an Avraham Avinu, or he... Jewish people can be recognized by that. I'm not sure what that exact reference is, but here we're not talking about the feelings. We're talking about the ability to create feeling. The ability to create feeling from abstract information. I think we have to explain this a little bit better. <laughs> You know the, the the difference between abstraction and uh, and something that is concrete. Something that is abstract cannot be seen or touched or heard or smelled or tasted. You don't experience it with your senses, you experience it intellectually. Babies and children 
are concrete. Animals are concrete. You can relate to the uh, the cookie being sweet, or your sister's cookie being bigger than the cookie that you got. <coughs> But you don't relate to abstract ideas until you develop a more mature mind. By the way, I don't, I don't have any source for this. And it's probably not really germane to the topic because it's an aside to an aside. But my observation has been that the first abstract concept that any child develops, and therefore I would say the abstract concept that intellectually immature people never graduate from, is justice. Justice is an abstract concept. That's, that seems to be the first abstract concept that any child appreciates. Hence, my sister got a bigger cookie than I did. It's not fair. Well, who taught you the concept of fair? Fair is an abstract concept. It seems that fairness, justice, is, a, is an early uh, abstract concept. At any rate, throughout our lives, we are developing ourselves to increasingly appreciate that which is abstract and to decreasingly run after only that which is concrete. So the ability to have an emotional reaction to an idea is, an, is intellectual maturity. If you're a bunch of kids, you were all children once, and I wanted to get everybody to be happy, probably I would walk into this room with a bag full of candy and start swinging it around and saying, everybody's going to get candy, and you would all be happy. <coughs> because you can relate to candy. If I would tell you all, imagine your five-year-old, your five-year-old self. We're going to learn some spiritual ideas that will help us to be more useful to our maker. Is five-year-old you going to get happy? No, because that's an unrelatable concept. But you, it, in your present age and level of maturity, would be happy from that, which is probably why you are here. Just, can I just say something? Yeah. I think when you say that to a kid, they just extrapolate to something concrete. They don't extrapolate to something concrete. It is concrete. No, I'm saying, I'm going to give you some spiritual ideas that make you more useful to your maker. They figure, and then I'll get a reward. Oh. 
Oh, no, I don't even think they hear that. A five-year-old, it doesn't even mean anything. No, it's, it's Martian. It doesn't even mean anything. Well, obviously, we slowly develop their capacity to relate to abstraction over time. So it's on a continuum. The point is that the younger and more immature someone is, the more concrete their thinking is. And the more mature they are, the more abstract their thinking is. Which is why, for instance, just as an example, somebody who's exceptionally emotionally mature can feel happy and free even at the time of pain. Because the pain is just a sensation. It's just a stimulus response. And has nothing to do with the person's ability to do what is uh, truly valuable in life. So, das is the intellectual maturity to be able to have an emotional reaction to abstraction. It's the ability to think about a spiritual idea, something you can't touch, something you can't taste, you can't hear it, you can't see it. can't smell it even, and yet to have an emotional reaction, not just an intellectual awareness of it, but an emotional reaction. That's das. Now, almost by definition, what we're saying is that's not an automatic emotional reaction. It's one that requires effort. It requires a process. The process is focused, concentrated thought. And not only does it require a process, but the process itself requires a process, which is answering the question about, well, not everybody has an equal capacity to focus. That's correct. So this is what he deals with next. He says that just because you have this capacity for das doesn't mean that it is so accessible. You may have to work just in order to tap into it. And he describes two types of work that may be necessary to varying degrees depending on the individual. One is called Exertion of the flesh. Yegiyas habasar. What's exertion of the flesh? Toiling the flesh. That is, we're not really talking about so much actual flesh. This is not like a, a workout program, like uh, an exercise routine. What it's talking about really is our relationship with the flesh. So our, 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 um, our attachment to our own 
physical being. Ego. And we actually spoke about this, and here he references us back to chapter 29. Do you remember chapter 29? When we spoke about apathy. Apathy is so dangerous, and we have to break through the apathy. And we gave that metaphor of the log that won't catch fire because it's too thick. So we splinter the log, and then it catches fire. Okay, so over here in chapter 42, we are hearkening back to chapter 29, and we're not even talking about the emergency situation of dealing with apathy. Here we're talking at least, uh, we're talking on a, maybe on a more mild level, but the same idea, which is, in order to access your das, to access your inner Meishu you need to remove any obstruction. One obstruction may be that your attachment to your physical self and things of this world may be covering your ability to form an attachment with spiritual ideas. And therefore, you need or exertion of the flesh in order to remove that impediment. What is that process? Just like we spoke about in chapter 29. One administers to oneself <clears throat> this is not something somebody else does to you or you do to them but one administers to oneself a moral inventory and stock taking where one drudges up the deficiencies of the animal soul and of the body centered self in order to break it down. That's the first requirement. That you may need to um, think about, you may need to think a little bit harshly about the way that your attachment to your physical self and the things of this physical world are bringing you down and take an honest look at that in order to um, to abate its effect on you. That's the first thing. The second thing, and this is the primary thing, is Yegiyas Hanafish, is toil of the soul. Toil of the soul is to rein yourself in and train yourself to stay focused on an abstract thought. It is self-discipline. Not self-discipline like we were talking about earlier in the book, which was impulse control. You know, where you uh, have a you have a uh, a craving and you rein it in and you uh, hold yourself in. Here we're talking about self-discipline, training yourself to stay focused on abstract ideas. It's not something that everybody naturally does automatically. However, interestingly enough, the Tanya here quotes from Shulchan Aruch 
from actually from Eirech Chaim, which is the first volume of Shulchan Aruch, and from the first chapter of the first volume, which talks about how to start your day. And it says over there that if a person will think about the fact that the king of all kings is standing over him, which of course is an abstract idea, because you don't see this king, then it will immediately bring him into a state of Yira. So Shulchan Aruch, a book of Jewish law, which is universal for, for all Jews, describes this process of thinking about an abstraction until you have an emotional reaction to it. The Alter Rebbe only adds the, the caveat that what it's describing there, what it's describing in Shulchan Aruch, is the ideal. And that if it doesn't immediately happen to you, if you don't immediately have that reaction, that's okay. Go back to Yigiyas Abasa, Yigiyas HaNefesh, toil of the flesh and toil of the soul. In other words, ultimately everyone can have this breakthrough, but depending on who you are and your strengths and your challenges, it may take more time and more effort to eventually have the breakthrough. But the breakthrough is one that everyone can have and indeed is one that everyone is obligated to have according to Jewish law. Yeah. I see this process as bringing oneself to love and awe. Is it directed toward one or the other? The question is, couldn't this bring just as well to love as it could bring to, to awe? And the answer is absolutely yes. Yes, it, it can and it does. We're just going to focus first on awe for the reasons that we spoke about at length in chapter 41. That we need to develop our awe first and then we'll get to our love. But you are absolutely correct. Yes, the ability to focus and abstract spiritual ideas until you have an emotional reaction can be either an awe reaction or a love reaction. Well, not both, but one or the other. And we need to do both of them. But first we're going to talk about the awe. He says here that this is what it means when our sages tell us, that somebody tells you that I, I, I toiled, but I did not achieve. Don't listen to him. Or if they tell you, I didn't toil, and I still achieved. Don't listen to them. But if they tell you, I toiled, and I achieved, you should listen to them. What's that talking about? Making money? I know people who didn't know what they were doing and got rich. I know people who had great ideas and great work ethic, and it never worked out. It's talking about... Yiras Shemayim. That somebody will tell you, nah, it didn't work. I thought about God all the time and nothing happened. Didn't feel anything. Don't believe them. Or if somebody says, nah, I didn't even think about it. I just feel this way, naturally. Also don't believe them. But if someone will tell you, no, I had to actively concentrate and in fact, they may tell you, 
not only I had to actively concentrate, but there was prerequisite work involved in getting myself able to, to actively concentrate. And then I experienced this awe of Hashem. Then you should believe them. This is also what uh, Shleim HaMelech says in Mishle. He says, if you seek it like treasure, then you will understand fear of the Lord. So it's funny, you know, when it comes to making money, people stay up all night thinking about their million dollar idea. They put a lot of effort into it and they give a lot of headspace to it because it's not just going to fall through the ceiling. You got to go do something. You got to have a plan. It's funny because when it comes to making a living, that usually is something that is not necessarily so proportionate to the amount of uh, work that you put into it. But when it comes to developing one sense of awe of Hashem, which is only a result of how much work you put into it, that we tend to be more passive about. So the Alter Rebbe brings this verse and says, if you seek it like most people seek out money, then you will achieve a feeling of awe of Hashem. And what does it mean to seek it out? It means to focus, to think. You gotta think. Or like it says in Pirkeyovis, that if you will reflect upon three ideas, you will not come to sin. You have to reflect. By the way, what does it say to reflect upon? What are the three ideas? The eye that sees, the ear that hears, everything's written in a book. In other words, the omniscience of God. And, and why is this the concept that you're supposed to meditate on? Precisely because it's not something that you see with your physical eyes. It's something that you have to see in your mind's eye. But if you'll think about it, it will have as much of an effect on you as things that you see. Yeah? It would seem to me um, that there, there are some souls that are a little bit more tuned in to spirituality. Yeah, and therefore it's easier for them and the process is quicker. But everyone must engage in a process. The process is unavoidable. Everyone's going to have to work. Some people were born on third base, but everyone's going to have to at least walk to home plate. But if you do it yeah. as a chinuch, it's so much easier for children when you are mechanuch that way, and then they grow up with that. Yes, and for sure. it's very easy for them to imagine all those feelings. <clears throat> I discussed this. This is 100% correct. And I discussed this before, uh, so I don't know if I want to repeat all my stories at least you know the first time going through Tanya if I'm repeating all my stories I told you about when I was speaking at that university and there was a lady who was a professor of psychology developmental psychology 
and she told me after my talk that children cannot cannot grasp the concept of omnipresence that God is everywhere remember I told you about that yeah, yeah. yeah. I think back in chapter 3 so we can go listen to the recordings from chapter 3 um, and what did I tell you there was a little kid there and I asked him where is Hashem and he said everywhere and she said well he's just repeating what he was told and my assertion is uh, no actually he's not repeating what he's told he's telling you what he understands and although you are saying that that is developmentally not possible what I'm telling you is that perhaps in an environment where that particular idea is not taught, it would be um, well advanced of that stage of development to be able to grasp such a concept. However, in the type of upbringing that this child has, where this is a main focus, if not the main focus of his education, then certainly they are able to grasp such a, such a concept. So yeah, this stuff here, chapter 42, is not just for ourselves. It's also for kids. It's also for the way that we, we train children. And remember, the entire notion of morality is an abstract concept. One who can only think concretely cannot think in terms of right and wrong. If the cookie tastes good, I'm going to take it. What's the idea of a cookie being wrong or right? It doesn't taste wrong. My senses don't tell me anything's wrong. So yes, the entire mission of educating a child is to give them the capacity to relate to abstraction. And not just to relate to abstraction abstractly, but to relate to abstraction concretely. In, in other words, to have some reaction, an emotional reaction to spiritual and abstract and idea, uh, ideas and, 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 to, uh, and to values as if it were something that you're experiencing with your senses. By the way, why is a girl not morally accountable until she's 12 and a boy is not morally accountable till he's 13? Because what happens at 12 and 13, that's when they become a bardas. That's when they get their das. So you can have a precocious child who knows a lot. But the ability to actually react emotionally to that information is a function of das. And that's something that really comes with maturity. Obviously, we want to use the child's formative years to get them as close to that as possible. But there's also a certain, uh, there's a certain unavoidable time element involved where a, a, a person does need to be uh, developed to a certain state in order to have uh, access to this capacity. Yeah. But have you pointed out with the little child and <coughs> Hashem everywhere, something that, <coughs> sorry, 
really resonates with me. If they start off at three and four or whatever, they may not understand it at that point, but they will know it exists. And you mentioned that by the time they reach a certain age, when they really can understand it, they have already had the concept. That was very meaningful. Yes, to me. well, start them when they're young with the concept. Let me add to that. Yes, that's true. You start them when they're young with the awareness that the concept exists, even if they can't relate to it. That's true. The same thing goes for adults. I'm asked all of the time by adults, why should I study Chassidus? Why should I study Tanya? These concepts are spiritual. They're not everyday concepts. I don't relate to them. Well, first of all, first of all, the answer is, yeah, you're correct, and that's probably why you shouldn't study Kabbalah, but this isn't Kabbalah, this is Chassidus. Kabbalah is like calculus, Chassidus is like engineering. Chassidus is all about the practical application of spiritual ideas. So the first answer is, yes, you're right. Merely to delve into abstraction without practical ap application, you're right, that's probably not a great use of your time. But Chassidus is all about the practical application. But secondly, to answer secondly, you know, something that is... By definition, something that's an abstract idea is going to start off as, as beyond your uh, frame of reference. And the first thing we do, think about it in your own experience, is merely to become aware that certain things exist. I mean, just a concept as simple as two souls even before you really were able to relate to how they manifest in your life. And certainly before you develop the uh, awareness to be able to identify their voices as they manifest in your life. But long before that you, you developed those abilities, you simply gained that awareness that such a concept exists. Even though it's not something that you can empirically experience with your five senses. So at some point, somebody had to tell you something that you were not going to figure out on your own. And then based on that, you've been able to develop an emotional connection to that concept. Okay, let's tie things up here in chapter 42. Remember in chapter 41 we mentioned that Rabbi Yechem and Zakai said to his students, my wish for all of you is that you be as afraid of God as you are of other people. And they were taken aback and they said, that's it, that's all. And he said, yes, of course, because when people sin, they look around to make sure no one else is looking, but they never take into account that Hashem is always looking. He brings that story back here in chapter 42 and says, you want to know what we're talking about when we're saying if you think about Hashem, specifically his omniscience, that it will bring you to Yira. There are many levels of Yira, but the level of Yira we're talking about here is the most rudimentary, most simple level, which is that my awareness of 
Hashem's omniscience will cause me to check my own behaviors. Period. That's it. In other words, the barometer for this emotion is completely behavioral. The proof is in the pudding. How do you know you're feeling it? Based on your behavior. So we're not describing such a lofty and intense level of awe here. Later on, we will talk about lofty and intense levels of awe. But at this point, what he's saying is, if you'll think about Hashem's omniscience, the eye that sees, the ear that hears, everything's written in a book, the emotional reaction should be self-awareness. How much self-awareness? At least as much as you feel in the presence of other people. So, we can say that the, the, the most basic level of Yiddish Shemayim, the most basic level of, of awe of heaven, is, is a, a feeling that is akin to social inhibition. So just like you wouldn't sit at a, a wedding and uh, start uh, taking, uh, you know, the, the, the place cards, the name cards, what are they called? You know, those are good toothpicks. You wouldn't sit at a wedding and start picking your teeth with the name card. Because social inhibition. You know, people are looking and it just doesn't look right. So whatever, however you describe that level of emotion, just bring that into your Torah observance. That when it comes to being motivated to do whatever it is Hashem wants of you, and to not do whatever it is Hashem does not want you to do, that you feel that level of motivation. This is what we call the lower level fear. I'll just close up by saying at the end of the chapter, he mentions that the word emuna is etymologically related to the concept of imun, which is developing a craft. And he reminds us that it requires work. Yes, there are those who are born more talented than others, but everyone requires some degree of work. None of this is natural. The capacity is natural. The capacity, the ability to do it is natural. Natural to your godly soul. Your godly soul has this function of Das, which is a mini Moshe Rabbeinu, which is capable of taking abstraction and reacting to it. But that's not something that will take place unless you actually put in the effort. 
And like we said, what's the effort? Well, before you even get to the effort, first is the prerequisite effort. You've got to clear away any obstruction, and that is if there's any uh, undue attachment to the, the, the false sense of self and the body and physical things. We have to um, disabuse ourselves of that. And then we have to, that which we call it Yigiyas HaBasar. And then we have to do the Yigiyas HaNafesh, and we have to get ourselves trained to stay focused on ideas, abstract ideas, which is very difficult in this, you know, Twitter generation, where nobody has an attention span for anything. And nobody reads. Everyone just wants to see a video clip. And then after we do that work, now what do we have to do? Start thinking. Thinking about what? Thinking about Hashem. Specifically, what about Hashem? Well, in this case, there's an eye that sees, there's an ear that hears, everything's written in a book. God is omniscient. There are many, many, many things we could think about when it comes to Hashem. But right now, the meditation is, think about Hashem's omniscience. Until, think about it until what? And, well, what, what, let's do, do two steps. Think about it until you get an emotion and develop that emotion until it's sufficient to inform your behavior. That's it. So if we would do chapter 42 homework, chapter 42 homework would be like this. parts. First of all, force yourself to think. The homework requires homework, because first you have to force yourself to think. And if other thoughts are getting in the way, you have to remind yourself that they're not as important as what you're about to think about. And then you have to actually think. And specifically here, we're going to think about Hashem's omniscience, until our awareness of our own behaviors is enough to motivate us at least as much as social inhibition. Okay? 